Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our topic today is sharpen your decision-making by waiting. That's a part three of this little series we're doing. So again, it's sharpen your decision-making by waiting. So I'm going to divide our time today uh, into two. I'm going to make some comments about waiting uh, and the first two podcasts, of course. And then I want to spend the bulk of our time doing case studies. So many of you sent in case studies and questions, and I'm going to seek to get through eight or nine that I've chosen, and we'll get a chance to see how this uh, theology gets worked out practically in a variety of situations. There's learnings that take place through case studies that can happen no other way. So again, this three-part series came about because so much of our life as leaders is making decisions. I mean, every day, strategically big, small, medium decisions. And when we're not thoughtful, uh, when we're flippant, the implications are vast. And so it's one of the areas we want to be growing in and maturing in throughout our entire lifetimes. So uh, again, I'm calling this a, a discerning the voice of God in some ways, level 201. So he began by, in part one, by looking at the foundation from Jesus' life about boundaries and limits. And that how we saw in Jesus and his own discernment uh, being tested and seduced by the evil one to get off track from basically aligning himself with the Father's will. And that's what happens to all of us. We find ourselves distracted, seduced by a variety of voices and can easily get off track. Jesus had sealed orders for his earthly life from the Father. In the same way, so do you. So do I. So does every you know human being on earth. God's got a purpose for you here. Uh, I, I like to call it sealed orders. That comes from a uh, a book I read many years ago. Go sleeping with bread. It was used for by sea captains who, when they would uh, board a ship about to go somewhere, they would get their sealed orders in an envelope. Uh, in the same way, God hands them to you and to me for your life. I like how Margaret Silf, a spiritual director, said years ago, she goes, God's dream in our hearts is a tender but all-powerful seed. In other words, God's put a, a seed in your heart. It's God's dream for your life. And our gift, she writes, back to God is to bring that dream to birth. We're to nurture it and give it back to him with our lives, in a sense, fulfilled in his purpose. I like to think of Nehemiah, who was living out his sealed orders from the Father when he returned to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the walls uh, after the exile. And he encounters all this opposition, ridicule, and plots to confuse him. He's, they, they distract him, they distract him, they send him wrong prophecies and wrong friendships. And he speaks, and in chapter 6, he says, I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot come down off the wall. And he's just so clear he's got his sealed orders. And so in, in, in part one of this little series, we talked about in an example of Jesus, the boundaries around which we must be careful not to get seduced off from the Father. And last week or last two weeks ago in this part two of this podcast, we talked about listening to God, the Holy Spirit inside of you through consolations and desolations. We did a deeper dive into the work of Ignatius of Loyola from the 1500s, and just the miracle that God lives inside of us. Uh, because the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world, a holy God, a transcendent God of the universe, actually lives in human beings like you and me. And so the Spirit of God speaks, not just externally, but from the inside out. And that's why it's so important that we're able to integrate feelings and what's going on inside of us uh, in our discernment 
and, and sharpening of what's God saying to us. And that's why emotional health and a slowed down spirituality have to go together. And then today we're going to get into about sharpening decision-making by this other big block about by waiting. Okay. So again, it, it, very simply, it, we're sheep. He's a shepherd uh, and God is the shepherd and he leads us. Uh, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, says Jesus. And again, remember sheep are dumb. Sheep are, they can't see the big picture. Sheep are, are uh, by nature, get fearful and, and panic easily at, the, at sounds and and so they've got their, they've got to be led very carefully because they'll go into polluted waters. We'll go off cliffs. We'll get ourselves stuck. We'll, we'll, we'll fall in, in the hands of wolves. And so our life is one of listening to the voice of Jesus and following him. And so it's much like a, from our viewpoint as creatures or as sheep, we don't see the big picture. We, it's like a puzzle. We see pieces of the puzzle of our lives coming together, but we just can't see the whole puzzle. Only the shepherd sees that. And in fact, I was sharing with a friend uh, just this past week how something I sensed from God about 25 years ago that I thought God was saying to me, I said, I think it's actually happening now and coming around. I would never have imagined it. And it's one of those wonders of God's, God's ways that he keeps us in this dependent state as sheep to, to, and to train, training us and maturing us through trust and through waiting uh, and through learning to rest in his love, even when there's sometimes chaos going on around us. And so when we talk about uh, waiting around decision-making, we're talking about growing in prudence. And the Proverbs is all about prudence and discretion and growing in wisdom. There's a variety of words used there. And, the, and Proverbs speaks about, 19, chapter 19, 2, it says, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? And so when we're hasty uh, and we're not, we don't wait appropriately, we end up missing God's way. And that the early church fathers and the early centuries of the church wrote a lot about the virtue of discretion, especially for leaders. And they, they defined discretion as the ability to wait, to see what unfolds and not act. It involves the humility and patience to discern when to leave things alone, knowing when our interference will only complicate things. That comes out of John Cassian's conferences. I like uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, that German poet in the early 1900s, in his book, Letters to a Young Poet. If you've never read it, it's worth reading. Uh, and I, in fact, these two quotes I'm going to read to you right now from his little book, Letters to a Young Poet. Uh, I've read them many, many times over the years, but some point in the last year, I, I was so struck by them that I rewrote them into my journal and I meditated on them. I just let them wash over me. I, they became an, an opportunity for me to, to pray, to commune with God, to listen to God and to, in, in a sense, integrate the, uh, the book of Proverbs in a fresh way. So, Here's what, here's what Wilkie writes. He goes, let your judgments come from deep within. By judgments, he's referring to discernments. Let your discernments come from deep within and cannot in any way be pressed or hurried. Allow every germ of a feeling to grow to completion wholly in yourself in the darkness and await with deep humility and patience the hour of birth of a new clarity. 
There is no measuring of time there. A year there has no meaning. And 10 years are nothing. But it only comes to the patient ones. And then he gives the example of, we want to ripen like a tree that does not force its sap. And he refers it to, he also gives the example of, you want to stand confident in the storm during spring, that summer will eventually come. And I just, this is the first quote, I just love that because let your discernments come from deep within and they can't be pressed or hurried. And let there's no measuring of time. You just have to wait until you know it's like it is gestated enough like a baby being birthed that it's time for it to come forth. And uh, be willing to wait like a tree. You can't force its sap. The time comes when the sap is ready to come out of that tree. I just love that. And I think of David uh, uh, as a young man fleeing from Saul for 10 to 13 years. And that's before, you know, his calling in his life began before that from 1 Samuel chapter 16 when he was anointed by the prophet Samuel. But he just, you know, and the way he slowly comes into the kingship and then breaks new ground and the Ark of the Covenant with singers. And I mean, it's just amazing how he just kind of waits and he's patient for the unfolding of God's plan in his life. Tremendous. All right. Here's the second quote by Rilke. Have patience with everything unsolved in your heart. Do not search for answers now, which cannot be given you because you could not live them. It's a matter of living everything. Live the question now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, one distant day, live right into the answer. Say it again, have patience, he writes, with everything unsolved in your heart. Think of, the, think of the things you're trying to discern right now, the questions you've got about the future, about what's God's will here. He goes, don't search for answers now, which cannot be given you because you could not live them. It's a matter of living everything. Live the question now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, one distant day, live right into the answer. The reason that hit me so hard was how often I was wait, I, you know, I've been waiting and I'm like, God, I want the answer like now. And uh, I, I produce that answer sometimes. But then how often when I've been been waiting, it just gradually unfolded. And it's like, oh, like I kind of lived right into it. And it happened so easily. And I thought of the 12 disciples during the ministry of Jesus and how they kept jumping ahead. They didn't want to wait. Uh, you know, in some ways when we're waiting, it, it's not that we're not doing anything. We're actually doing the most important thing there is. When we're waiting, we're allowing our soul to grow up. We're becoming the person God's created us to be. So when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're actually doing the most important something that there is. So again, I, I like to think of it was waiting as a birthing, uh, a gestation process so that God's will could unfold in and through us. So let's now jump into some case studies. Let's go into these eight or nine I've got here. I hope I can get through them and see how this works out practically in a variety of situations. Uh, but before I go into them, let me just make a, a I guess, a suggestion here for you, because undergirding everything in these three podcasts is the need for a spaciousness and a slow down spirituality, as well as an awareness of your vulnerabilities, your shadow, your genogram, your triggers that come back from your history uh, whether it's avoiding conflict or being risk averse or fearful or hating change, uh, which really is so much material that's found in our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, course, part one and two. So let me invite you to download a free course preview uh, that gives the first session of both parts of the course, Emotional Healthy Spirituality and Emotional Healthy Relationships. 
It gives you a workbook, free video, and you can kind of experience it yourself. And I want to encourage you, please go through that course for yourself minimally. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. It's free. And it will give you a taste into the large, broad foundation I would, I, I would say to you is needed to sharpen our decision-making in terms of our relationship with God. So again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. Check it out. It's free. Just go through it on your own, those two sessions, because it's going to give you a framework uh, of a discipleship, of following Jesus that's really broad. And these a lot of things I'm saying here are going to make a lot of sense to you because we're, sh- we're shifting the whole foundation of how we lead, how we follow Jesus, how we do our relationships, and how we live for God in the world. Okay, let's go now into our case studies. So the first one is uh, from Ben. And here's what he says. He goes, I'd love to hear you explain more, he writes, Pete. Dear Pete, I'd love to hear more about the relationship between discernment and discretion. Question one, I currently have a some healthy turnover on my team, which has left me with an open discipleship pastor role. With hiring this role, I want to be slow and prayerful to get the right person on the team. Also within our church, we have a lot of discipleship programs to execute in this upcoming season of ministry in the fall. The tension I'm facing is I want to practice discretion and wait on the Lord in getting the right person in the role, but I'm also living in the urgency of needing another staff member to execute our discipleship strategies that are expected to be upheld in this upcoming season. Any suggestions on how to practice discretion? Well, uh, again, uh, there's a lot. I, 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 I trust you've written out a, a job description of the person you're looking for, their role, et cetera. You're praying, absolutely. I'm sure you're asking around, who's God given us? And again, I ask yourself the question, step back and say, what's God saying? What's God doing? What's God saying to you and to your present staff and I know there's expectations for everything to be upheld, but it doesn't mean they should be upheld. Uh, and sometimes in that waiting seasons, God is seeking to shift some things. I can tell you this from solid experience, that if you go ahead of God too fast because you've got to fill this slot and you put the person in there who was not really the one God has, uh, you will miss the way, as it says in Proverbs 19.2, and uh, it will take a long time to unfold that, uh, to, to redo it and get it right. And so you want to be very uh, careful uh, on that. I think you're in a good tension. I, I Obviously, as you're waiting and praying and seeking, uh, you've got to ask yourself another set of questions about what might God be saying and doing in terms of adjustments. Uh, other people, he wants to step into different roles, reconfigurations, because I found that in those waiting seasons for that right person, um, God was doing some other things. And um, boy, I can think of why I waited uh, years for a person to lead our community development corporation for a variety of reasons. And I had my finger in the dike. I was the director of our uh, CDC, we call it, uh, which had a whole bunch of programs besides being lead pastor of the church. As I'm waiting, we were waiting for the right person. It was the right thing to do because when that person came, it was amazing. And it's flourishing to this day, 10 years later after I've left. But that waiting was so worth it. Uh, And again, there was some shift that had to happen for a variety of people. Other folks emerged as volunteers or as part-timers. But I think you're in a good tension. So that's number one. Don't rush. Second question uh, Ben asks is, uh, in general, as a pastor and leader, it's common that I feel like I have more vision, dreams, and even strategy 
than our current reality. And as a pastor who leads layers of teams within our church, how do I balance practicing discretion, praying and waiting on God to move in these areas, and actively sharing these visions and dreams with my team and asking them to help move our church forward in them? When do I keep this vision shut up in my heart and hold it before the Lord? Uh, And when do I actively share these things with my team and ask them then to help me build it and get there? Great question. Uh, And I'm going to read you a verse from Luke 9, verse 18. The answer is, how do I know when to share what with whom? Jesus models something for us in uh, Luke 9, verse 18. It says, when he was with the disciples, and he has not shared with them yet about the crucifixion. He's going to be crucified, rejected, crucified, and then later resurrected. And, he, and he, at this point, it's not shared with them about the, their own, what it means to take up their cross and follow Jesus and all this stuff. But it says this, Luke 9, 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And then Jesus asked them, who did the crowd say that I am? What's important about this is it's in the context of his own communion with the Father and prayer that he discerns it's time to share this with them. And so the, one of the great lessons in the Gospel of Luke is it's out of a life of deep communion with the Father, deep prayer that I even can discern timings. And uh, so I would say the same thing with yourself. I know for me, uh, I've got, I, 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 I'm a, you know, I have a lot of visions and dreams. And um, I used to overwhelm people with them. I, I just blurred everything out thinking it's going to be great because I love visions and dreams, love hearing them. Uh, and I had to learn the discipline of journaling, uh, talking to you know one or two, even with my even with Jerry, my wife, I used to overwhelm her with visions and dreams. So part of it was doing my own inner work, uh, and then out of a place of prayer and patience and waiting, uh, of again sharpening decision making of knowing, okay, now it's time I want to share this, and and uh, again invite this team into this. Uh, and how to layer that out at appropriate time. So I just, the great, and I think the Mount of Transfiguration is another great example. It's while he's praying at the Mount of Transfiguration that he's transfigured before the disciples. Again, that that unfolding of the Father came out of, a again, his deep prayer life. I just love that as a model, because I don't think there's one set answer. Uh, I think it requires great sensitivity. You're asking a great question, uh, and um, the Holy Spirit will guide you you will see the fruit of that approach of the coming out of your own prayer life and hopefully some good, wise counsel as you get better and better at discernment. Okay, the second question comes actually from a, a small church in, uh, in Colorado. Uh, and and uh, the pastor gave me permission to, you know, MJ to share her her name. And uh, actually, she asked me this question uh, once on a, um, in one of our all day seminars. And I gave it a quick answer. And I, after we got off the phone, I, I, off that, that Zoom call, I had my uh, assistant reach out to her and we actually had a phone conversation. So I felt like my answer was not adequate at all. Uh, And so here here was her situation. Basically, she's pastoring a small church uh, in rural uh, Colorado. The Post-COVID, it went down from 130 to about 60 to 65, uh, a small but dedicated you know, group. And this, of course, are folks watching online, but they lost a lot in the pandemic, but they got a good, solid, faithful core. And uh, so the question is, 
uh, they've been attempting to reach out to attract visitors. They've had some visitors come after the pandemic, you know, has ended here, but they haven't stayed. They haven't stuck. And so there's this feeling of like, hmm, uh, guilt. What are we doing wrong? Uh, depending on who you ask, etc. And you know, what's God saying here? What's wrong? Well, we need a new strategy. And, uh, and so basically in our conversation, I, I shared this with, with MJ. I, I, I think the, um, you know, God's coming to you. I mean, it's a season you're in and the, you want to, is the church, you want to attract people. That was a question. How do I attract people? And the answer most importantly is we want to be attractive. And my counsel was you want to invest in the spiritual vitality of this core so that they're so alive in Jesus. There's so much life and activity of the Holy Spirit. I mean, part of doing serious formation discipleship uh, is that people are having constant conversions. God, the Holy Spirit, alive in that church. It's, 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 it's electric. People are listening to God for themselves and, again, getting their own dreams and visions. And uh, there can be a great blessing in this season of post-COVID as you're wrestling. Uh, and of course, there's some money pressures, but you want to be attractive. And so my counsel was to begin to do seriously um, the emotionally of the discipleship course, part one and two, with your leader, with her leaders first and uh, get a hold of uh, level two videos that are on our you know, training and on our website, emotionallyanthe.org slash training. It's free and do the course right. Begin to mentor and disciple your leaders and then broaden it to the church, but you want to lead them to Jesus. Uh, and you want to lead them into a formation in Christ that has such life in it and to become the attractive church you want to be. And that God numbers are not the all and all at all. It's, it's the organic fruit happening through you. And again, we have many instances of scripture where there's growth, but it's not necessarily producing quick numerical growth at all, but there is a God activity happening and it's beautiful. And again, I think of a John the Baptist as a fantastic example of that. I'll move on number three here. My goodness. So good. This one, this one, dear Pete, my husband has planted and pastored a church for the last six years. Previously, he'd been a youth pastor in a couple of situations, but ever since planting this church, he's felt a desolation in his spirit, the tension of worshiping and working on a Sunday morning. And his senses are heightened whenever anything goes poorly in the preparation or execution of the service. He is anywhere from distracted to discouraged as he seeks to be a worship leader and a participant. And over the past few years, he experienced he's a, he, over the past few years he's experienced growth in this area, and he's shifting his expectations for what a successful ministry is. But his feelings of desolation remain a constant. He's been taking time to listen and discern if this is a common struggle for pastors that he must overcome, or is it a situation more unique to who he is, and therefore he should consider a vocational shift. In other words, get out of pastoring. As a wife, my heart longs for him to feel fulfilled in his work and worship, but I don't know how to counsel him. I have a desire to stay, uh, but to, pre to prevent upheaval in our family, but I value his relationship with God, and I don't want to force him to stay for the purpose solely of our stability. Any advice you give would be helpful. Uh, so yes, uh, excellent question. And I, I, I think I, I would not see it as the criteria to leave pastoring at this point. I think it's a common struggle for pastors and leaders uh, to have these high expectations, this feeling of desolation, because it's never perfect enough. Uh, it's 
clearly touching uh, deep issues within him uh, for his own discipleship and formation in Jesus. We're talking about family of origin stuff. We're talking about triggers. This is high level uh, formation in Jesus. And by in some ways, by being a leader of a church plant like this, all of our issues are coming to the forefront. His is out there. So uh, there's two things I, I would definitely recommend uh, doing some work with a therapist, an excellent therapist around some family of origin issues. Uh, because I, I know exactly the feeling. And then secondly, it's an invitation also to deepen his own relationship of loving union with Jesus and to die to the world. Uh, again, in redefining success as he's already on that journey. So uh, I, I would, you know, I, I think there's an invitation there that is pretty common, very common, uh, wanting things to go perfect and to see this as a invitation rather than a call to leave. Bless you. Bless you. All right, next. Next, hey Pete, writes this person, God's been opening some doors of possibilities for me and my family. We've been considering moving across the country to live close to family and grow as a family. We feel we'd have more support and feel safer than our current situation. And economically, it would be really good for us. My wife and I have not been directly involved in the ministry in our current church, but around the same time we were considering moving, God opened up a door for us with our youth ministry uh, with teens and middle schools. I feel drawn with my unique gifts to serve in that way, but my wife is not drawn to it like I am. And she feels our primary responsibility is to focus on discipling our own kids. So as I listen to your podcast, you know, on decision-making and boundaries, the question I have is how do we embrace our God-given limits while we prayerfully consider which door to walk through? Great question. I, I, I would just encourage you, to, I, I think number that you and your wife, you, you have different views right now. Since you're married, you're one flesh, uh, you're not ready to make a decision because you don't see it. To, you're not either allowing, you're just in a different place. So you wanna, you wanna come to a place by God's grace of oneness. Even if one of you will come and say, I'm, I'm, you get to a place saying, I'm okay. You know, staying here, she comes to a place, I'm, I'm staying here, I'm, I'm totally willing to stay here as you feel a sense from God that, you know, God's opening this door with youth, or you feel a sense of peace about leaving. So I think it's a leading out of your marriage theological question. I would encourage you to pick up that chapter in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, Leading, Lead Out of Your Marriage or Singleness, it gives you a bit of a broader theology, but I, I would encourage the two of you together uh, to work first at seeking to get a sense of oneness. Again, Jerry and I don't agree on everything we do, but we come to a place at least where we're able to defer joyfully to the other and then go that way. But you have to wait. There's a waiting to get to that place, which can be okay. Okay, don't don't shortcut that. Uh, next question is, um, you know, thank you for your, dear Pete, thanks for your writing. We are former church planters. We planted a church in our city about 10 years ago. Uh, we got burnt out. Uh, tired and eventually realized this was not sustainable. Sustainable. Uh, we got on a journal, a journey of emotional health since 2017. Uh, we now feel a call after five years to full-time ministry again. Uh, my question is surrounding our churches. The church basically, uh, the pastor is not healthy emotionally. He's burnt out uh, and making some choices that aren't very helpful. So I wrestle with, could we actually make it have a difference, make a difference and bring emotional health to the staff and leaders if the lead pastor doesn't have a desire? Uh, can we be emotionally healthy in the staff 
if the other staff are exhausted and don't have boundaries, uh, is God calling us into this or is he calling us to stay away? And uh, great question. Great question. And the answer is uh, possibly. <laughs> In other words, I, I have a good friend whose his, full, his full-time ministry is going into difficult places like this and setting up interims uh, to help move them to a place of health. And uh, so uh, the question is, is God inviting you as part of your sealed orders to go in there and to be salt and light slowly over time uh, to be a gift? I'd say many folks are. Uh, A few of us, few folks, uh, just don't have the patience for it. And I feel like, no, uh, that's not for me temperamentally and how I'm built. And that's okay, too. The question is, what's your sealed orders? Um, But I would say that you're going to be challenged in your own walk with Jesus by going in there. And that's a good thing. And, um, you know, you're you're sensing a call back to, I call it vocational ministry, Ephesians 4, to be in leadership. And part of being in leadership, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, is getting the bones in proper place. That means all of us are confronting lots of unhealth uh, in the church emotionally and spiritually, and we're bringing a sense of order for the sake of Jesus and the and the health of the body and the long-term mission of the church. So uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to go back. I would just be very clear about your own healthy limits and boundaries because your beta, best gift you can give to the other leaders and the lead pastor and everybody around you is by living what you know to be true. And you're modeling something without even preaching a health and a joy and an overflowing life in Christ that's going to impact everyone around you. And that's a gift. So here's another one. Uh, Thank you, Pete, for all the content you've produced. The question I have for you is, how do we practice the discipline of discretion while also maintaining urgency about our work, particularly when we're at work in a setting that requires deadlines, upcoming projects, et cetera? I think that is, I have a sense of urgency to tremendous needs in the world, and yet I'm very committed to practicing the discipline of waiting or discretion of letting things unfold because I'm fully aware that rushing things doesn't produce fruit long-term and it doesn't advance the work of God or the needs. And so with regards to deadlines and upcoming projects and ministries, I would simply say that uh, you probably need to have less deadlines and upcoming projects and ministries so that there's more space uh, to wait. Or even as you're making decisions, you're framing them in a way that doesn't overcommit you before uh, the full flowering of what God wants to do perhaps has unfolded. All right, let's do, let's do one more, maybe two more if I can squeeze this in here. Uh, I'm a member of a multi-site church, a large multi-site church in Canada. And... Uh, I was on staff at the church uh, for 10 years, actually as a volunteer to being on staff to actually being a board member. And uh, I also was a healthcare professional and I was a psychotherapist. Uh, but prior to entering church leadership, I considered myself pretty healthy. But basically, due to the toxic nature of the system, I slowly became emotionally unhealthy myself. I burned out. Uh, from leadership and stepped out from all leadership roles. I expect, I expect, I entered the church of leadership to continue to grow in emotional maturity, but the opposite happened. I became more emotionally unhealthy. So uh, the church ended up after he stepped down, getting rocked by all kinds of scandals, sexual abuse scandals, uh, went through the whole church. The church lost 60% of its membership. 
uh, and 30% of its budget. And here it is kind of, it's reeling right now, repeatedly trying to find its way. So they've got some real problems. How do we discern God's will and direction in the church while balancing the demands of practical problems? Uh, you know, and basically what, what do I do here? Uh, my role. And my, my response very simply is this, there's a little more detail there, but the fact that you love the church is wonderful. And I'm so glad you're there. Uh, I, I hope, I pray that, you know, it sounds like you feel a call to stay there and just your presence there, your being is bringing great stability. It sounds like your church went through a very difficult season. The toxicity sounded like it was going on for decades. Um, but there's there's a desire to reverse that. It sounds like God really got your attention. And there's a calling and a charism on your church to have gotten to the place where you are. Uh, and so you've got to understand to redo that genogram and get it right, it's going to take time. Uh, but your, the charism and the calling of God in that church is not lost. But you just want to rediscover how can we do it God's way, and it's going to take time. It's going to be take patience. And I would, I I would encourage you to be in there patiently. You don't know everything going on there. You're not in that on the board any longer. But you want to have the long haul vision in mind. Uh, understanding there's three steps forward and often two steps back, but it's okay. You know God's on the throne here. But if you can love that church uh, through all this, I'd have great hope for the future. But it's going to require people like yourself and others uh, staying with a bigger vision long enough uh, to help the church guide guide the church through the season of redoing your foundations and roots and rooting out of that genogram of your church some some of the toxicity you mentioned more specifically in this email. So again, thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right, let me stop here. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening and for being with us. And let me invite you again, always send questions to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. I really appreciate that. Uh, they're fantastic. And let me encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview and uh, check out that session one in, uh, of the both parts of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. Uh, you'll find it very helpful as you kind of get exposed to this large operating system to follow Jesus for you as a leader and then, of course, for your teams and your people. God bless everybody. It's been great to be with you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day. <music>